Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to season seven of What the Flock. This season, our goal is to carefully approach some very serious and often polarizing topics. The issues we're going to focus on have and continue to cause so much damage, people seem unable to civilly discuss these topics. The episodes in this season will give you the tools you need to facilitate your ability to talk about these topics in a beneficial manner. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Swakowski. How you doing, Joel? I'm spectacular. Thank you for asking. How you doing? I am wonderful. Great. Now I'm going to give you some, some more disclaimers, okay, Joel? Yes, thank you. The seriousness of these issues often result in people not hearing both sides before judging the issue. With that said, we encourage you, dearest listener, not just Joel, but the dearest listener who's listening, to be careful sharing anything from these episodes with other people without first encouraging them to hear the entire episode for themselves. Okay, so listen to the whole the whole episode. Also, in addition to listening to the entire episode for yourself, we highly recommend listening to any previous episodes that are referenced during this episode. So listener, you have a foundation as you've joined us all the way through lesson seven, that if you go, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. I love this. And you send out this topic, people could really trigger. Yeah, really. Yep. And that's one of the reasons we're given these disclaimers. Right. So that even if you forget to tell someone to listen to previous episodes, they're going to still hear the same disclaimer. Yeah. (laughs) But this is a way that you can help the people that you want to share this information with so that it's done in a way that is a benefit to them. We don't want people triggering and acting in ways that cause damage. So what we've seen also is that these topics are all topics that are people are familiar with largely because they have been debated at length. The reason they have and continue to be debated is because the traditional style of debates does not work. What those types of debates do is pit two sides against each other, each side being more concerned with trying to prove their own point, often becoming overly emotional about the topic and even triggering. Right. So instead of trying to learn something new, find out maybe something in their in their own argument is wrong. When it comes to these topics, people seem to want to root themselves deeper into what they already believe. Right. Now, we saw with the previous six seasons that each issue has two perspectives that distract people from the ultimate answer. We call those the strict and loose side of the argument. Joel, can you give us an overview of both of those sides? Yes, sir. The strict side invites and initiates conflict on these topics. This side tends to be a bully, using intimidation as a tactic to control people. They hold people to strict standards in which they rationalize away any need that they would have to hold themselves to that same standard. And these people become hypocrites, like the Pharisees when they are confronted and their response is to justify why they can hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. The loose perspective avoids conflict and avoids tension as much as possible. The standards they hold themselves to are based on how they and others feel, leaving them with no objective measures for what the moral 
or the right and just or the ultimate conjunctive answer is. This side tends to be an enabler, removing any discomfort brought on by confrontation. And these people show they don't actually care for others when they avoid confronting people who are in pain for their own benefit. Right. So we either have bullying tendencies or enabling tendencies when it comes to how people approach topics. And the number one technique we're going to use throughout this season is to repeat back to the opposing side what they believe to their satisfaction before making my point. Season seven is essentially it a way to help our listeners practice understanding. Yeah. And it's the only way to have a profitable interaction because it causes people to listen to the other side once they know they've been heard. Debating would actually be a benefit if seeking first to understand was the guiding principle that the debating mediators followed. We will focus on seeking first to understand. And now that we're all set up and established and people who are ready to listen can listen. What's the topic we're going to discuss today, Joel? Today's topic is slavery. Hmm. Yeah. Well, 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 this is the toughest topic to discuss because it is so emotional. Yes, it is. And so rather than summarizing this topic into a strict and loose side, which will cause some people to trigger and not get all the information, we're going to skip those sections and immediately go to the ultimate answer. Then we will end with information specific to the topic of slavery. Okay. Well, great idea, Joel. So let's talk about the ultimate answer. What is it? All right. The ultimate answer, big picture, is leadership, grace, and love with an emphasis on Paul's approach as shared in the season seven supplementary episode. So there you go, listener. There's an episode that I hope that we hope you have already listened to before venturing this far and or any further into this episode. This has been what the flock. Yeah. Thanks for like no. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah. Now, before we talk to anyone about slavery, if we're trying to bring a benefit to that person, we need to know whether we are talking to a believer or an unbeliever. Before we talk to anyone about slavery, if we're trying to bring a benefit to that person, we need to know whether we are talking to someone who is strong in the faith or weak in the faith. We don't want to cause a believer to stumble, and we want to reach the unbeliever for God. So as it relates to leadership in the topic of slavery, we ought to seek to understand the other person's perspective. With this topic, we can start with making sure we understand each other's definitions of the key words we're using, specifically the definition of the term slavery. Now, as it relates to grace and love, ultimately, when interacting with either side, the person ought to take direction from God via grace in order to love that person. Grace and love are key to avoiding enabling and key to avoiding judging the other person with the hopes of winning or edifying them. 
So here's two more episodes that we hope you'd listen to before venturing any further. If you haven't listened to the Grace and Love episodes, please please do so. Season 2, episode 13, and season 1, episode 15, respectively. Now, when it comes to this specific complex and emotional topic, I'd like to present the issue through a point-counterpoint format to show how this topic quickly migrates away from what everyone thinks is a simple answer. So what is the simple answer? And this is different than the ultimate answer? This is different than the ultimate answer, yes. Okay. The simple answer is owning another person is wrong. Okay. Now, this would have been the strict perspective. And while we may all think we agree with this perspective, the implications of this perspective can quickly turn people into hypocrites. (laughs) Okay. So, however, since this is an emotional issue, most people won't stick around to process those implications. For example, did you know there are more slaves today than any time in history? I did not know that. I didn't either until really doing some research into this topic. Mm -hmm. But some examples of modern slavery that are recognized by the U.S. Department of State include but are not limited to the following sex trafficking forced labor debt bondage domestic servitude forced child labor and unlawful recruitment and use of child soldiers Mm. so if someone tries to convince you that they are completely against slavery and that it is the greatest tragedy in the history of the world, and it is the most important thing they are concerned with, you could ask them, what are you doing about it now? Hmm. The person either needs to dedicate their time and effort to stamping out slavery today, or they need to admit it isn't the most important thing to them. But they won't do that second thing, and they will likely trigger The hardest part of this episode would be making the case for slavery in the format we have been using for the previous nine episodes, because it wouldn't allow for this nuanced discussion without people triggering. So let's try it this way. How would someone make an argument for slavery, or perhaps more accurately, how have people made an argument in the past? For slavery. So let's look at the arguments during the American Civil War. Defenders of slavery argued that slavery had existed throughout history and was the natural state of mankind. The Egyptians had slaves, the Greeks had slaves, the Romans had slaves, and even the English had slaves up until recently. Basically, this is the argument that it must be right because others that we have looked up to did it. Worse, it's another version of the whatever is, is right mindset. Notice, because other societies saw this as right, doesn't mean it is right. Right. However, if you're going to say it's wrong for those societies to have slaves, 
You need to make sure you aren't using those societies as examples to make your points in other arguments. Historically, the defenders of slavery noted that in the Bible, Abraham had slaves. They also point to the Ten Commandments, noting that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. In the New Testament, Paul returned a runaway slave, Philemon, to his master. And although slavery was widespread throughout the Roman world, Jesus never outwardly spoke against it. So with that said, let's look at what the Bible specifically stated about slaves. From Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 11, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod, so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. And we continue, Exodus 21, verses 20 and 21, and verses 26 and 27. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Okay, there's a lot there. My commentary is simply this. The principle of justice is still at play. It looks as if the slave has a choice in the matter and cannot be permanently damaged, otherwise they are free. This is different from the perspective that a person owns the slave and then the slave owner can do whatever they want to the slave. There were restrictions on what it meant to be a slave owner. Another very popular passage from Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18 on slavery says the following. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. 
Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an all and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. My commentary here simply, this sounds more like a hired servant than owning a person. And then finally, from Leviticus 25, 39 through 55. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. And as your male and female slaves, whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you make them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Now, if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or the sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining, according to them, he shall repay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him and according to his years he shall repay him the price of his redemption he shall be with him as a yearly hired servant and he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight and if he is not redeemed in these years then he shall be released in the year of jubilee he and his children with him for the children of israel are servants to me they are my servants whom i brought out of the land of egypt i am the lord your god and my commentary. This, from Leviticus, looks to deal with the issue of someone becoming poor, and that brings up the main reason brought up by people who support slavery. It results in the person's physical needs being taken care of rather than starvation and death of the poor person. So the reality is, if you look at nations conquering nations, the people who are conquered can either be killed or work as slaves for the conquering nation. 
Would you rather these people were murdered or work as slaves? The other reality is there are people who are so poor, they are homeless and will starve to death. Would you rather these poor people starve to death? What are you doing about the homeless situation? Hmm. The counterpoint to this is that we are more than physical beings. We are mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. And slavery is much more than a physical issue. While that argument allows a person to dismiss the murder and starvation effects of their slavery stance, what does it do for reparations? So reparations are the making of amends for the wrong someone has done by paying money. If the wrong that was done through slavery was mental, emotional, and spiritual, what is going to happen to people who offer physical payment and people who receive physical payment? They will be confirming that slavery was only a physical issue and then bring back the murder and starvation reasons for slavery. Now, as if this issue was complicated and emotional enough already, there are some countries, some cultures that try to get around being called slave owners by never directly owning someone. This has caused the definition of slavery to change. Do you know what the definition of slavery is today? This would have been the question from the loose perspective. Today, slavery is defined as the ownership of a person as property, especially in regards to their labor. Slavery typically involves compulsory work with the slave's location of work and residence dictated by the party that holds them in bondage. Now, here's a different definition that is even clearer because it begins with the conjunctive. Go ahead and listen to the Malk podcast supplementary episode on conjunctives if you need a refresher. Here we go. Slavery is the practice of forced labor and restricted liberty. It is also a regime where one class of people, the slave owners, could force another, the slaves, to work and limit their liberty. Throughout history, some forms of slavery existed as punishment for committing crimes or even to pay off debts. So notice you don't need to own someone directly in order to participate in slavery. If the person is forced to work for you and their liberty is restricted, it is seen as slavery, which sets up the loose side of the argument. We are all slaves. Hmm. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone in the world is a slave. It means that everyone that this person on the loose side would argue with is a slave. Because the people on the loose side wouldn't be arguing with a billionaire. Ask yourself, though, who isn't forced to work and whose liberty isn't restricted? Finally, and ultimately, the first question you should ask someone if you are going to discuss slavery is what is their definition? Hmm. If they don't want to define it, or if they immediately attack you, then you are best to walk away. Okay. Yeah. Let me repeat back to you, Joel. 
to your satisfaction. So I understand what it is that you're saying. Now, ultimately, taking a backward step, when interacting with either side, the person ought to lead the other person by taking direction from God via grace in order to love them. Grace and love are the key to avoiding enabling and the key to avoiding judging the other person with the hopes of winning them. Now, the first question that you said to ask someone if, if they want to discuss slavery is what is their definition? So asking someone, what is your definition of slavery? If they don't want to define it or they immediately attack you, you know, they don't want to define it. Well, it's obvious or right. how, you know, like, why would you even ask me my definition? It's, you know, it's so clear. You're just trying to be argumentative, whatever. Then you're just best to walk away. Right. If they give their definition, then you can follow the point counterpoint explanation that we gave. Now, the crux of this entire discussion is the definition of slavery that the person you're talking to holds. So it's likely going to come down to either one of the following perspectives. Number one, slavery is the ownership of a person as property, especially in regards to their labor. Or number two, slavery is the practice of forced labor and restricted liberty. We have what we need to discuss this topic civilly with anyone at this point. And then before discussing this topic with anyone, what we're encouraging people to do is to ask themselves, number one, why, why am I discussing this? Yeah. Why am I discussing slavery with someone? Number two, am I trying to bring a benefit to the other person? And number three, do I understand that other person? Joel, is that to your satisfaction? Yeah, that's awesome. Honestly, with this one, I know I gave a lot of information in the ultimate answer with the point counterpoint explanation, but really this entire episode comes down to understanding the other person's definition for slavery. If we don't get an answer there, it's not worth talking about. Because again, our goal is to try to understand one another, to try to discuss these topics civilly. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to change anybody's mind. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you. That, that was a great, great summary. I definitely feel heard. Awesome. Yeah. And, and if we're trying to understand someone and they can't give us a definition or a meaning, which is the, the way to understand them, then it's impossible. Right. So it is best to walk away because that's not, they do not want to be understood. That's not their objective either. Right. Cool. Well, thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this topic and how to deal with people who either bully or enable regarding this topic, listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.